0: Chris Corlew, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Bob Sikora. Hello there. Hey, hey. So, a little uh, housekeeping. Up, up. I got a new microphone. My goodness. So that might mean that my voice sounds better. It also might mean that you just hear a lot more baby in the background. So be prepared for a (laughs) two-year-old on this podcast. Um. Anyway, now that's out of the way, um, today, when this podcast comes out, is October 1st. And we are going to try to do a little, uh, little uh, spooky theme thing this month, a little spooky poem thing. Uh, personally, I very much love horror. I am currently 50% finished with a manuscript of horror short stories, and that's not even the only horror-related writing project I'm working on this moment. So I could go on for a long time about why horror is great and fun and interesting, but in the interest of zooming in a little bit and bringing this topic more to focus with our interest as poets, I wanted to talk about how the uh, resist paraphrase aspect of poetry can create terror or a sense of dread in a poem. A lot of the scariest stuff in both literature and life is the unknown. You don't see terror You don't know explicitly what it is, but your imagination runs wild with the possibilities. My son is really into Daniel Tiger right now, and there's a whole episode where the theme song's chorus is, see what it is, you might feel better, telling kids that, like, if you just go look at the scary shadow, you might realize it's simply a crumpled shirt and not a looming Lovecraftian demon. But as poets, I think our medium is uniquely suited to not revealing to leaving the reader with that unsettled feeling, never, ever revealing the mystery. I'm not saying fiction can't do this, but there's something about the compactness of poetry and the sort of opaque nature of poetry that I think makes it an excellent medium for causing terror. It's certainly what the poem I'm reading this week, I think, does. Uh, Bob, I realized as I was writing this intro that I have no idea what your relationship to horror is. Your writing isn't very scary, but you're also working on a project about utopian groups, which is somewhat ripe for horror. Uh, do you like scary movies? Do you think about monsters? Do you, What's your relationship with horror? I'm the
1: least spooky poet I know. <laughs>
0: That's probably accurate. <laughs> very lovable.
1: <laughs> um, I have moderate interest in horror movies. I don't enjoy being scared. Like that whole part of it never worked for me. I don't know. As I say that, I love thinking like my brother growing up was really into horror movies, but he would get like deeply freaked out about things. Um, mm. Like one of my strongest memories, I haven't talked about him in years about is like he read some like ghost hunters article in some little magazine, you know, he was like 10 or something um, and like couldn't sleep for a couple nights or something, you know, deeply affected by something like that. Whereas I sit in the movie theater, bite on every jump scare, you know, completely lose it. And then for like 10 seconds later, I'm like, I'm ready to laugh. Right. But also like I leave the movie theater and it hasn't phased me at all.
0: Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah.
1: I want my horror to be like very serious, I think.
0: Sure, (laughs) sure. Yeah. I'm
1: really, like, I'm really down for The Shining. Um, Midsummer. I was really into
0: that. Yeah, do we um, were you there that night we watched it at Kevin's? I think
1: that I think I was there that night.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean that's where I watched it so probably. <laughs> sure, sure. Um yeah, I don't actively seek out the scary. I didn't have a goth phase, which like frankly is disappointing. Um, <laughs> I think whenever I started thinking about, you know, style and aesthetics, one I was really bad at it. Number one, most importantly. Oh, but fair was, enough. But number two, like, I, I in my head somehow, uh, standing out and rebelling in some way meant, like, bright colors as opposed to all black. Interesting. I didn't realize that you could look really good just by wearing all black. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. I really wish someone had taught me that. You know, like, as a 14-year-old, I needed to know that.
0: Right. I wish <laughs> someone had taught me a little bit more about how to dress with colors. <laughs> so. <yeah. laughs>
1: maybe also like what sizes were appropriate <laughs> oh <laughs> I mean. oh
0: yeah no no one in our generation knew what sizes were
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know uh, what is 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 scary in my writing if anything is just the the constant aching fear of being alone <laughs> I
0: guess. you know i mean that that that's that's scary but in a way I'm, i i i'm not good at confronting so <laughs> in my writing so. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it occurred to me that I was just like, you know, we we we, you know, we're still new at this podcast and we're coming up with topics and, uh, you know, we just thought, you know, okay, we have you know themes for the week and et cetera, et cetera. But trying our hand at this monthly thing, and I was like, well, obviously October should be Monster Month. And then I, it wasn't until two days ago when I was writing the intro that I was like, does Bob even like horror? <laughs> <laughs>
1: which what you also know is that i'm like down for whatever
0: so. yeah that's true yeah you are you Without. are you are a a very open and accepting and smart and well-read co-host uh, so. I'm not
1: pushing it but i won't i won't complain
0: so now that we know that you uh don't particularly care for the topic do you want to read a poem
1: <laughs> <laughs> i just don't want every two dollar item from spirit halloween store that's my relationship to spooky
0: oh see that's where we're different <laughs>
1: <laughs> i am down for some horror but yeah I, uh i want to read a poem because that gets into the the weekly lengthy um rambly introduction
0: <laughs> yeah i'd rather uh, i'd rather uh do that than uh than, than keep making jokes let's do that <laughs>
1: So I'm going to read a poem by the poet Kim Haisun, uh, translated by Don Michaud. Um I'm fairly certain I've got uh, Don Michaud's name correct. Um, I definitely have seen her read. I've admired her work for a while. Um, and the reading I went to, they introduced her name differently, and so I've looked it up a couple times. So my apologies if I'm not saying that right. And last year I read um, a collection by Kim Hai Soon. Um, translated by Don show called Autobiography of Death. And my instinct for this podcast was to pull a poem from that collection. Um, I think it's really, really incredible. The poet was responding to, I forget exactly what it was, but there was some sort of like tragic accident that happened that kind of spun her off into thinking about death. And so the first poem in that collection, someone dies. And then the next the following forty-nine poems um, are about like what that person's spirit does and experiences um, every day after
0: that for forty-nine days. That um, is a fascinating premise for a collection.
1: It's so good.
0: Every week you bring a, a, an author or a collection that I'm just like I need to check this out, and you're gonna bankrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose I, could, I should just get a library card. But the library I for,
1: but. So I was looking for poems from that book. And also, actually, I had another poet that came to mind, and I had a similar feeling where I wanted to pull some of these poems, and I was like, they're awfully serious. You know, taking on, like, tragedy within, like, I think that there are horror elements coming out of it. And I was like, I wanted something a little lighter.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. You know? Um, And I found this poem, um, again, by Kim Soon from her collection that I had heard of before, I'd heard someone talk about it, it's been on my radar, but just like, I'm so mad I don't have it now. Like, it should be on my shelf. This is possibly the best name for a collection I've ever heard. Sorrow Toothpaste Mirror Cream.
0: (laughs) Okay. I'm into it.
1: (laughs) Um, And I'm going to stop talking, I'm going to read this poem. Uh, It is called Ghost School. I work at a ghost school. In this neighborhood... If you've been a ghost for over 10 years, you automatically become an institutional ghost. I teach a class to the newly enrolled ghosts. It's really impossible to disappear because of this work. First, I have them carry a book on their heads and practice walking without touching the ground. No one listens to what I say, and there's no place to stand or lie down. I make them practice so they won't be shocked, even if they leave no footprints on the snowfield. I make them practice falling asleep, floating in air. I teach them such things as how to overcome melancholy inside a coffin, how not to spew out hot air in the basement morgue, how not to turn into mummies even when a desert drags them away. I don't know myself, but I just say whatever comes out of my mouth, how to use a telescope or microscope made in the time factory, how to use an out-of-body experience, How not to despair even when they become forgotten souls or when echoes don't return. How to wish that they could set something ablaze. How to rage into you as bright as the fireworks lingering in the night sky can be found in the textbook, but I'm not writing it. How to sob hiding inside a song. How to hold their breath hiding inside the sobbing how to flow with the flowing people then spur themselves up to the sky, sobbing like a tree, how to erase my body's margins and become an adjective, as the sounds from a brass instrument navigate like planes taking off, and therefore how each day becomes fainter, are all in the magic that has been passed down. Then I add, a ghost that takes revenge is low rank, A ghost that only appears in a night of sleet is middle rank. A rotten ghost luring a swarm of flies is high rank. A ghost that is like a cloud, a question, gas, is high, high rank. And high, high, high rank, etc., which nobody knows about. All right, then. Shall we practice raging like spring snow, as if pulling out the left wing first from the body where swarms of flies have died. Then I issue a warning to the ghosts who haven't done their homework. Damn, you can only become institutional ghosts after graduating from a ghost school.
0: Yeah, this this poem's awesome. Uh, <laughs> this, this is so cool. Um, uh, yeah, when you, when you sent it to me, I was like, oh man, there's a there's a lot to work with. Um, right. First up, shout out to. Um, uh, action books, uh, Joel McSweeney and uh, Johannes Gorenson are two extremely nice people who uh, do a lot of translation work. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, publish a lot of translation work. I want to shout them out real quick. But uh, yeah, this poem, there's so much here. There's so, 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 so much here. I think we, again, this week, pick similar poems. All There's a banality to the horror here. There's a banality mm-hmm. to the terror. Um, it shouldn't need to be said but it, it, it bears being said that becoming a ghost is not like an aspirational thing <laughs> <laughs> becoming a ghost is existentially terrifying and here the uh, the speaker is talking about like instructing new ghosts but like only because the speaker has been a ghost for so long that they get to be an instruction an instructor now and right. that's like there's something really like terrifying about that but yeah and then like just the images like the the ghosts have to learn to walk without touching the grounds with uh while they have books on their heads you know and they have to learn just in a single quatrain how to quote use a telescope or microscope made in the time factory what the hell is that how to have an out-of-body experience how not to disappear even when they become forgotten souls or when echoes don't return how to wish they could set something ablaze that is those last two lines are terrifying to me
1: absolutely
0: but there's so much uh drink because chris is going to mention anaphora there's so much anaphora in this poem that you just like you you forget about exactly what you're supposed to be scared of which Mm -hmm. is dying and the mystery of the afterlife and this poem is just and like you said it's it's less serious and it's kind of playful and it's like fun to read but in the context of what we're talking about horror poems like yeah it's, it's 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 When you sit down and think about it, it's kind of scary. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think that's what really drew me to it um, is that it does kind of stop and engage with like, okay, what is life like as a ghost? Sure. You are dead. You are a ghost. And and like has some of that supernatural. Some of the stuff you were pointing out there is definitely in it. Um, You know, obviously the floating in air. I love that idea. Uh, Practice falling asleep floating in air or yeah. um, so you won't be shocked when you don't leave footprints on a snowfield, but also, like, within that supernatural, and just like you, you kind of were pointing to, um, how it returns this place of what's boring, what's mundane about being a ghost. Right, right. To me, this poem does a little bit of, like, what I like about science fiction um, in the sense of the the supernatural here, the scary stuff here, like future stuff in sci-fi it's more about like reflecting on our current condition, you know?
0: Oh, sure. Um, Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. The way
1: that like how terrifying is it that (laughs) even in the afterlife, um, you're going to go to school. Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) In the afterlife you have the job of like teaching or um, you know, of being a student um, and, and uh,
0: having a job in the afterlife period. I mean, for god's sake
1: <laughs> um, and it, you know it kind of is is sandwiched here but the beginning and the end this idea of um even in death you you're, you're, you're going to become an institutional ghost yeah
0: institutional <laughs> is doing a lot of work here the word yeah institutional.
1: absolutely
0: yeah and the, the um, rank there right at the end the middle rank yes, the low Yeah, exactly. rank, yeah.
1: After, like, there's this hierarchy kind of thing yeah <laughs>
0: like,
1: um <laughs> yeah because yeah to me that's pointing at that things that are filled with horror and like current life we take for granted
0: right know? right That's we a, just right, assume yeah, yeah. that stuff we have to we have to do during our current life but right with the, like the reward of the afterlife is not having to <laughs> put up with this bullshit anymore
1: <laughs> yeah and you know it, it just hit me like it has this um i you know parallel to, like monsters inc of you know of it's not about the act of scaring people or of haunting people in the afterlife, but it's about the like act of like learning that stuff and figuring out what ghost life is.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. It, uh, it reminds me of a joke, uh, a friend in middle school told me, or it wasn't even like a joke. I do He was just like, he was like, what if hell, it, this was right around. The time, <laughs> Jesus, we're going to get really lowbrow on this podcast. This was right around the time. Little Nikki came out.
1: <laughs> oh, Jesus.
0: And if you've seen Little Nicky and like, there's a scene where like Harvey Keitel's Satan is like shoving a pineapple up Hitler's ass or something like that. And uh, my friend was like, what if hell isn't like endless torture, but it's just really boring. Like what if the sofa is really like uncomfortable and like the soda's flat, and like the crackers are stale. Like, what if, what, what if it just, what if it's like a waiting room that just kind of sucks, and you have to be there for eternity? And I was like, that's actually more scary. To me. Yeah. I'd rather yeah. have the fire and brimstone.
1: Hundred <laughs> percent agree. That has long been for me like the scariest afterlife is like being conscious in just like infinite nothing.
0: Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
1: mm-hmm. the worst idea. There was a movie that's, like, just like
0: that. Oh, uh, wrist-, wrist Cutter's cutter. a Love Story. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. The yeah. uh first movie I saw, well, second movie I saw in Chicago, but the first movie I saw at the Chicago uh Film Festival. Um, ah.
1: Yeah. Our mutual friend, my old roommate, was obsessed with that movie when we were 20.
0: Great movie. Uh Great Tom Waits role. Yeah, um, that's right. Bringing us back,
1: where was, like you said, it's it's... It's so many lines that I could point us to. Um, and one of those poems, and again, you're you're right, it's the anaphora that's doing this, but where a different, among the list of how to, how not to, how to, a different line strikes me every time in ways that I really love. There was the line about a song that I can't find all of a sudden. Is it by sobbing?
0: How to sob, hiding sobbing. inside and, yeah, a song?
1: It's the start of the the sobbing repetition. Which I think is just a marvelous part here. Oh my
0: God! There is a sobbing repetition. Oh yeah, how, how to, to sob, sob inside a song? Hiding
1: inside a song, how to hold their breath, hiding inside the sobbing. Ugh. Ugh. How, how to flow with the flowing people, then spur themselves up to the sky, sobbing like a tree.
0: God, how does a tree sob, man? It's like... so
1: good. Yeah.
0: Uh... Oh.
1: Because exactly, I how does a tree sob? But also, I know exactly how a tree sobs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you are steeped in the romantics. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a that's an that's an excellent three lines, and I, yeah. I can't believe I didn't pick up on the uh, sobbing repetition there. But yeah, like it's it is, uh, and it's, it's tuck, still tucked in there with the how to, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, just a. Uh, Yeah, masterful stuff there.
1: Uh, How to erase my body's margins and become an adjective.
0: Oh, I highlighted that a little bit too. Um, In the. uh, Now I'm blanking on the title. What's Ann Carson's book, Um, Eros? uh, Eros, a love story or something like that? It was a a book I read that I have been until. Eros the Bittersweet. It was a book I read that I. I have, until this day, been too afraid to admit that I didn't fully understand it um, and like like really didn't understand it. But um, yeah. but she talks a lot in that book about um, edges and boundaries and how that relates to love. And hmm. that note felt like it was in conversation with her work. And I'm just not smart enough to make that connection. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely stuck out to me. That's um, interesting. And I, I really like that line. I feel like the line in this poem makes more sense to me than the entirety of that book. Oh. But I, that, is, that is not a criticism of that book. That's just as that a criticism, of my, my own intellectual limits. Um, oh, but, uh, but, but yeah, <laughs> it, need it,
1: re-read, it, it, it,
0: it needs a reread and I'll get around to it one day. But um,
1: um, you're reminding me um, one of my jokes um, about grad school English and literature classes um, is one, how just like, it's funny that they're, they're obsessed with, um, art theory. Um, oh, We yeah, yeah. like were going like to read this novel, and, and, like, I enjoyed that stuff, so I, I don't at all mean to knock it, but, like, it does seem kind of ridiculous when you zoom out and you're like, why are we reading about... Uh, what's his name? Donald whatever and the, 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 the giant balloon animal things.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah I, know, I know what you're talking about. Oh. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, you're just like, why am I reading this essay about uh, architecture
0: Right. it's one of those <laughs> things where writers it's like okay we need to dial this back like at least 25 percent.
1: <laughs> i agree and then I also i would i love that stuff right anyway, right It takes a classroom it takes a great professor but um that was one of the takeaways that i got from all that art dialogue was the interest of thinking about um you said edge is what is what kind of brought this all up to me but um the, the concept of like the frame in a piece of art sure uh, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and and this is bringing into the idea of, like, I don't know, is your body a frame? Um, I mean, kind of, yeah. Something, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm reaching for connections here. But, I mean, I, the sign of a good line is when you're looking at it, like, there's so much here. How well, does you your body's margins and become an adjective?
0: Your body has boundaries, but you're, it theoretically has a ghost, especially the ghost that's being described in this poem. Right. You, you, you don't really have... Margins. I mean, uh, I'm picturing like a traditional kind of sheet-like ghost, but like <laughs> that is a that is an ephemeral thing. That is a that is that is not a not a not a being with with boundaries and, and with things right. like that. Where your your body has an endpoint. You know. Um, this reminds me. Blake Griffin uh, has shorter arms than Rajan Rondo. Like, your body <laughs> has boundaries.
1: You're reminding me of the, the Rachel Cusk book outline. Um, talks about, uh, there's something in there about margins and like the outline of the body. But I read that so long ago that I don't have a coherent point. But when Mm -hmm. you mentioned like the sheet ghost thing, I think that is something really interesting happening here is that the name of the poem being Ghost School and there's something about the tone, the matter of factness, that I think it's really easy to try visualizing this poem with those just really silly Sheet ghosts, yeah, um which I think one is fun, <laughs> right right yeah um two, like it does make a an interesting ramming up against the kind of the seriousness that is in here, I think becomes more interesting when you have such playful ghosts as your image,
0: yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, yeah,
1: the, the follow up question that I think is really important
0: uh is is do you believe in ghosts oh Bob I'm gonna talk for like forty five minutes about this. <laughs> oh so the uh the short answer is no, the longer answer is yes <laughs>
1: There's the same amount of length in those two acts
0: <laughs> so I don't like believe in spectral spirits that haunt uh, okay. the the physical world that we live in, but I believe in ghosts as a uh, metaphorical concept i believe that I believe in ghosts as a way to You know, when my grandparents died and we were cleaning out their house and the house was going to be sold and the land that the house was on was going to be sold and thinking about the ghosts in that house in the sense of they're not here anymore and that's why the house is going away and Mm -hmm. um, uh, all the memories that, you know, my cousins and I had in that house, my parents and I had in that house. Ghosts in that sense, Um, I believe, in the idea of things from the past affecting physical spaces in the future. Not in the sense of like, you know, the the shelves are going to start coming out kind of thing. But like just a, uh, if you're at all responsible about studying history and then you know what happened at a certain spot unconsciously, when you go to that spot, you're going to be influenced by what happened in history. Okay. Yeah. Um, That sort of thing. I don't think Al Capone lives at the Green Mill, but I believe, you know, like, the fact that his, the myth of, or not the myth, I mean, he actually, you know, like, stayed there a whole bunch, but, like, Al Capone's being at the Green Mill influences the Green Mill now. You know, that sort of thing. So it's like Ghost as an influence, Ghost as a, uh, as a, uh, uh, what happens on, On a on a physical space can influence what happens in the future, kind of thing. Okay. Not like that Stephen King movie with the television, Uh, the uh, (laughs) the Um, the house that's built on a Native American burial ground, that sort of thing. Right. Not that explicit, but kind of like that. Okay. Yeah.
1: I really like that. I latch onto that because, like, even with the language of ghosts removed, like it's a very real important phenomena for us to recognize the way that like history and lineage and what happened to people and what happened at places has these long-term ramifications and like haunting it. Right. I think is, is a, is a worthwhile vocabulary. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know,
0: yeah, it's a worthwhile um, vocabulary, 100, and and it uh, can be positive too. It can be a memory right. of a of a friend or a family member. It can be you know people talk about like feeling like the ancestors are talking to them or something like mm-hmm. that. It can be a positive thing, you right? Know, like, or I heard the voice of you know my dead friend or whatever. You know like that's a mental thing. I don't believe that's that's really a your your dead friend talking to you. I, I, that's my personal belief. I don't believe that yeah. someone actually talking to you, but I believe that vocabulary is useful, um, right? You know, and, okay yeah
1: so i've got two things and then we got to get past this poem um so number one you reminded me when you said whatever horror movie you were just talking about i had meant at the beginning to say i'm really into you know, like i said i like the shining i liked um that other movie that i mentioned midsummer yeah but i'm less into uh the remake of amityville horror which was just a two hour excuse to see how many different situations Ryan Reynolds can take his shirt off. It was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ryan Reynolds is very funny and very attractive with the shirt off. So, you it's know, like one just... of
1: things. I get it. He should take his shirt off as often as possible in this movie, but it was just like, really, why is he cutting? Why is he chopping wood? There's no need for him to be chopping wood. the So obviously this poem got my mind moving in that way of asking about ghosts, but I had this experience um, a couple of weeks ago, I'm new to my neighborhood, I you know, don't know many people, and I was sitting out on my deck, there's nothing spooky here, um, my neighbor invited me to, like, have a drink with him on his deck, um, and then his upstairs neighbor was coming, so it ended up being the three of us, um, I stayed with, out there talking to for way too long, it was great, because I haven't, like, I'm not hanging out with people very often, thanks, pandemic, and then one of them asked the other, like, do they, someone said something, and it turned into, it turned into, It's essentially the question, like, do you believe in ghosts? And one of them, like, was, like, just ready to go with, like, all of these stories of the times they're, like, like, woken up in the middle of the night and, like, there's a person in their room and, like, things have been, oh, sure. and, like, finding stuff. They just, like, had stories. And the other one was, like, very much with them. Um, and, like, like kind of, like, you're – actually, they were probably further into ghosts as a, I don't know, physical phenomena than you're talking about. Um, but they were both pretty deep into it. And one of them looked at me and was, like, oh, he's so uncomfortable. He thinks we're crazy. And I was like, no, I'm uncomfortable because I'm, like, really uncomfortable around people. And especially, like, <laughs> right. are older than me. like I just, I've never gotten over that. Thing. I'm just shy. I'm yeah. Like I'm a child. yeah, I'm a shy person. <laughs> um, but also, it's like, I kind of just felt left out. Like, there's, there's never been any haunting in my life. Um, there's no ghost department. apartment. It's an old apartment. There could be. But, like, I'm not hearing stuff. Nothing's being moved around. If I lose my keys, it's very much my fault.
0: Right. Um, right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, man, I guess I don't want to discount anyone's experience. I don't want to like judge people. I guess I just find things like that kind of uninteresting, Mm. um, simply because like, yeah, I see things out of the corner of my eye, like a lot. And I hear noises like, you know, your house just talks to you. Like I, 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 you know, sometimes like it just, you know, things creak and whatever. And like, I'm just uninterested in those type of conversations and more interested in like, you know, the thing I was talking about. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I I guess I'm, I'm, I'm uninterested in the, uh, the ghost hunters with starring Zach Bagans. Um, (laughs) my favorite shows on tv shout out to uh she's probably not listening but friend of the program kaylee kravitz who uh, i used to watch ghost hunters with <laughs> um, but yeah I'm, I'm less interested in like finding physical ghosts and, and more interesting and more interested in what what haunting actually means to i, I
1: to people. love that that is a vocabulary that makes um that entire conversation a lot more interesting to me yeah similarly yeah like i um yeah, I wouldn't want to discount anyone's experience. Um, but yeah, I I don't hear things, see things, doesn't happen to me much. Um, and even when I do, like, I'm pretty comfortable finding an explanation beyond ghost.
0: Um, right, right.
1: We've moved entirely off the poem at this point.
0: We're so <laughs> far off the poem that we should probably just go to the next poem. You know, the next poem. <laughs> like I said... Don't get me started. I, this 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 whole month, these are going to be extra long program poems. Uh, podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody.
1: All right, your turn. You have got a poem.
0: I do have a poem. I've I've read a poem this week, so I want to say up top, I don't want to make a habit out of reading the same poet twice in too short a time span. But um, when we were talking about conceptualizing spooky poems, uh, this just this this stuck out so much to me because for a poet that we. Uh, talk about being kind of a very funny sometimes Mm -hmm. is just absolutely haunting to me um so this is uh, what would kill me by zachary schomburg from the very beginning i knew exactly what would kill me regardless i convinced myself that it could be anything i convinced myself that what would kill me would be made up of any one of the random things that would kill anybody else When I walked my dog in the neighborhood, I thought I saw what would kill me hovering in the trees. When I swam in the ocean, I thought I felt what would kill me nudging me at my ankles. At the grocery store, behind the cereal boxes. I grew old like this, thinking I saw what would kill me on my dinner plates, in the rabbit-shaped clouds. I grew old distancing myself from what I knew to be true. And then... Just like I knew it would, it came late one night, booming with slowness from the fjords. Chills. Is that not bone chilling? That's fucking bone <laughs> chilling to me. Chills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the last time we talked about Zach, we talked about how his, like, um, his... Uh, sometimes casual language is really disarming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The speaker stalks, starts off saying they know what will kill them, which would be right. truly terrifying. But it's the way... Perfect Go... first line. Perfect first line, yeah. Perfect. Which I believe is the first line of the whole collection, which is... Oh, goddamn. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> but the way the the poem is written, it almost becomes like a mundane part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there's that that persistent fear. And, uh, if there's anything that the Trump administration and COVID have taught me, it's that you adjust to persistent fear.
1: Mm. Um,
0: Existential threats can become daily life. And I'm sure that every member of a marginalized group, every non-cis, every, uh, non-straight, every non-white, non-male people who are listening to this podcast are yelling. Yeah, obviously Right. (laughs) right now, but, I guess what I'm really getting at is this, this poem illustrates that. Um, yeah. Thinking that's in the trees while you're walking your dog, but you know it's not. Thinking that's nudging your ankles as you swim in the ocean, but you know it's not. And then it comes late one night from the fjords, which is such a haunting <laughs> line. Uh, like, I've never even seen a fjord in real life, but that's <laughs> scary <laughs> for some reason.
1: <laughs> um, I guess I've never seen a fjord in real life either, but... Booming with slowness is yeah. the perfect description for that. You know, oh yeah. my god! Right? Yeah.
0: And uh, I should—I'm reading this from uh, Jellyfish Magazine, which um, published two of his poems. In this, and the one above it is because it comes right at you does not mean it comes to save you, which is a poem where the speaker and their father are lost in the Arctic ocean and something is coming right at them very slowly. <laughs> and it's just like, and it's not coming to save them. <laughs> oh just like such an amazing thematic connection that sure. you know, goes throughout the collection, but just love these two poems published together. Uh, shout Absolutely. out Jellyfish. Shout out, Je- shout out Zach.
1: Um. Um, like you're saying, it's so interesting to think of, this listing here, two list poems this week, uh, you know, is, is the the mundane places where the. Another kind of haunting, actually, um, you know, like haunted yeah. by the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is coming. And, and like you said, in one way, it's you, you adjust, but also I think kind of lingering in this poem is the way that, like, it has that knowledge. And that constant awareness that he has to have, like, alters everything. Yeah. Um, it's it's consuming. And that's really scary. <laughs> it's really
0: <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. yeah.
1: So many good small moments in here. Um, I thought I saw what would kill me hovering in the trees, nudging at my ankles, behind the cereal box. Like, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, you know, the, definitely the swimming and the something nudging your ankles, very relatable. Hovering in the trees, yeah. kind of behind the cereal box is like, oh shit.
0: One thing about <laughs> the the ocean is like that it's it is full of terrifying stuff that can hurt I, you. Uh, and even the stuff that can hurt you is unsettling. Like it's nobody likes putting their feet in seaweed. (laughs) Seaweed belongs on my feet, not on my feet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, but then it, it immediately goes into behind the cereal boxes. Yeah. Um, it immediately goes into something very, um, from something very, uh, how do you call it? Uh, wild and, uh, uncontrollably nature-based to something very sanitized and, um, uh, extremely safe, like the supermarket shelves, you know? Yes. That's, um, grocery stores.
1: I just have so many, (laughs) I don't know, buzzes go off in my head at the grocery store. Of the ways it's terrifying, um, I can't see grocery store in a poem without thinking, um, Ginsburg, um, or what in there with the watermelons. Yeah. Um, and we we went through that list, and we we didn't even get to of the next line is so good too of like, I grow old like the I grew old like this thinking I saw what would kill me on my dinner plates
0: right um, also the idea of growing old like this, yeah, you know what would kill you, but the speaker still grows old, yeah <laughs> you're not shaking right now. <laughs> As I
1: said earlier, I go from scared to laughing pretty quickly. Yeah, and yeah. I just move on with my life.
0: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's why I couldn't help but pick this poem. It's, it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm being genuine right now in how much this poem scares me.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, do you see it in the rabbit-shaped clouds, though? I guess you don't have clouds in your view.
0: I don't have. Cl- I live in a basement apartment, so I don't see clouds ever. <laughs>
1: So it's always kind of spooky in your apartment.
0: (laughs) It's always kind of spooky. Yeah, we get a good amount of light, but it's always kind of spooky, and frequently cold, as if we lived on a uh, glacier, fjord. (laughs) My
1: my apartment is spooky just in that it's old, Um, Mm. and the uh, it it has a non-working fireplace. It's you know the fireplace has been like a I don't know paved in or whatever filled. Oh sure,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, Decorative fireplace, metal
1: metal covering over it. Um that reminds me of um one of the scariest things in my childhood the like basement radiator in home alone oh man
0: out. yeah 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 mm-hmm.
1: I, I had never i you know i grew up in california we didn't we didn't have these kind of things
0: <laughs> <laughs> you didn't grow up uh, spending a lot of christmases around fires <laughs> well also the you know the other thing that's terrifying about your apartment is it's just you and what's scarier than your own thoughts
1: oh absolutely just my own thoughts constantly be listening or watching to something you know so one of the things i was just thinking of uh and maybe this is you know being an uh american person and poet and being a little american centric but we don't really have many fjords here in the states um if any right, right. Um, alaska i don't know norway um,
0: is yeah, right. of the fjord capital uh, of the world
1: yeah, um, that's part of, I think, what, what's interesting here is he knows what's going to kill him, but he sees it everywhere, but it comes in the fjords, he knows it's going to kill him, but it's not like, oh, I shouldn't go to the fjords.
0: Right, <laughs> The and that's why I, th- I think I mentioned glacier, glaciers a minute ago, I have always, every time I've read this poem, not pictured a fjord, but a creeping glacier.
1: Oh, okay, and yeah.
0: I, and that's that's you know that's just a, a weird quirk of my brain, because um, right. I know that's not what it is, but that's, that's yeah. what I'm picturing. And there's a lot of like you said, like there's a lot of American imagery, like walking the dog around the neighborhood, going to the grocery store, and cereal boxes. That feels like very,
1: very American
0: American imagery, and yeah, but the idea of something coming from the fjords, and I guess like the um, just the sound of it, like you expect you expect something scary to come from the forest, but it's not the forest. It's the fjords you expect. And I, I guess like, it is like I, I, I said Norway because in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, <laughs> Slarty um, got an award for designing the fjords in Norway. And so I associate fjords with Norway and Norway with cold. And then this poem just made me think the booming with slowness makes me think of glaciers. So I always picture like it, just a, a looming glacier coming to kill him, but that's definitely not what it is. That can't be what it is. Um, I can't get Zach on the phone or anything to ask, but like <laughs> you know, that can't be what it is, but that's what I picture. I picture a slow moving ice structure right. coming to me um, because how well, could the fjords kill you? I mean, I guess you could jump off a cliff, but like how could well, the fjords kill you? Before, yeah. yeah.
1: But part, I mean, part of what is important is that, you know, the poem not telling you right. is so crucial to the, the, the terror. Right. Right. Um, you are right to assume uh, Norway cuz although Wikipedia confirms they're not only in in, your, in Norway in Norway Norway.
0: The fjords <laughs> uh, are in Norway.
1: <laughs> uh fjords.com takes you to There's a fjords.com uh, <laughs>
0: We are laughing more this episode than we usually do. I feel like, like you were talking about, the the, the terror has something to do with it.
1: That's a gorgeous website. (laughs) It's got a fjord guide.
0: (laughs) That sounds like something our friend Eddie would do become a fjord guide. Um, eddie if you're listening look into becoming a fjord guy
1: <laughs> oh my is is that the point where we have spiraled too far away from the belt?
0: well you were about to make a point from fjords.com but uh,
1: <laughs> um i i was just enjoying the the lack of the knowing the thing oh, um, sure. yeah i i like we've done before, this did not hit me till the moment, so I definitely don't have a coherent argument here, but I was like, ooh, is there an Ars Poetica in here? Is he saying something about poetry with it?
0: <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> I think that I might be better than gestured, tor- gestured towards this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it is that time to pivot. Um, the uh, the way I'm going to relate terror to, uh, to basketball this week is um what NBA player would you be most terrified of going up against? Not necessarily one-on-one. What do you say? Too easy. Next.
1: <laughs> it would be so painful. It'd be so powerful and fast. <gasps> Fair enough. I don't don't want to look like Chris Dudley
0: ever in my life. Nobody ever wants to look like Chris Dudley, who I believe is a Republican anyway. So, yeah, Um, you never want to look like Chris Dudley. (laughs) Uh, Well, I was going to say Anthony Mason, and I actually forgot to prepare any remarks. So I was just going to say Anthony Mason. that dude just, I just bet he wouldn't hesitate to just, like, snap your neck and then move on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had an AAU coach, actually, who – says he got, Who told me he got dunked on by Anthony Mason one time. Oh. And, uh, uh, I was like, I, I don't, I don't even, I don't know if you're telling the truth. I don't care if you're telling the <laughs> truth. I just bet that sucked. Um, he said it while he was yelling. This was a particular, uh, uh, very uh very yelling style of coach. So uh you know you kind of hear <laughs> things uh you kind of take things in as they're happening to you, and you just you just want to get out of running more suicide. So
1: you're just running, and you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> but Anthony um, Mason did go to a, a, a Tennessee State University uh, HBCU in Nashville, uh, which I believe that coach went to. So, um, yeah, out maybe. Um, it's it's more than possible.
1: But that makes me think of is how. I've never been dunked on. I'll lead with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me neither, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I've certainly played with probably less than five people ever who, like, could dunk in-game. Yeah, I um, here. Yeah. So it's not surprising that that's the case. But I think, like, in theory, that's a fear. as a, You know, like, that idea of, like, oh, it'd be so embarrassing to get dunked on. But if a future NBA player ever dunked on me, like, that suddenly becomes an incredible story. It's like, a badge just, of honor. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Like... Oh, that would have embarrassed me when I was fifteen. Like just a couple years later, been like I would tell everybody that constantly.
0: Absolutely, um, yeah. And you become um, well, especially when you're the age we are. Um, you know, you certainly stop trying on defense on a fast break. <laughs> like um, too old to try on defense. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, you you like you know when you're fifteen and you're like oh I could still make the NBA um, and you get dunked on that's embarrassing but later on you're like oh um that guy uh, uh uh jamal murray yeah he he dunked on me when i was 15. we grew <laughs> up in toronto together <laughs>
1: that would be amazing That'd yeah, be amazing incredible yeah I'm sorry my answer was so quick this week No, but, no it was uh, that was great that was great the concept of playing defense against prime shaquille o'neal is the scariest possible thing,
0: and you know what? It, it scans because uh, he was uh, he was he was ruthless. Um,
1: yeah, he, just getting dunked on it could shatter the backboard on top of you while you're on the floor.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that 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 brings up an interesting thing. Okay, so are you more afraid of young Shaq when he could still run the floor when he was in Orlando? Right. Um, prime Shaq when he's in LA and was just you know could put up literally. Thirty-seven and twenty, any night, right? Uh, or old Shaq when he was just a manatee, just like barreling through the lane. Um, what's 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 scariest?
1: Well, so old Shaq—that's when it does become kind of embarrassing when he dunks on you.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I think young Shaq would get like a couple, maybe like a handful of really embarrassing. Throwdowns on you in a game, right? The trouble with Prime Shack is just how much it would happen, like in one single game. Right, you just get beat up so darn much. It was
0: literally <laughs> um, the offense.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, I've I've played in the posts for a long time. Actually, it's been a long time since I played, but you know, yeah, right. I, I was a down low player. Um, you get banged up.
0: Like yeah, that, you know? Yeah. And
1: that's all I can think about with him is, you know, it's like, you know, his his ass would bruise you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Not even talking about the ankles and the arms, you know, just backing into you. You'd wake up, be like, Why am I bruised on my hip? Right.
0: And uh as someone who has spent every single day for the last two years getting punched in the solar plexus and the throat and the balls. Uh, by a baby, <laughs> having a seven foot one, 350 pound man do that to me does not sound very fun.
1: <laughs> uh, that is, it is one of my favorite things about basically the people that we have spent a long time playing basketball with and against um, is that more skilled players and more athletic players um, would tire out in one on one against me. Um, just because they're not used to being backed up and, and, and being boxed out mm-hmm. um, when, when I'm a little bit more used to it. And so players who I know are, are better than me, um, they would score seven, and then they would just be tired. <laughs> just, <Sure. laughs> I would just try to get to 11 before them.
0: <laughs> I have a distinct memory of a five-on-five run where uh, I happened to be guarding you. It was mm-hmm. some of our friends and then a bunch of other people. And it was one of those situations where it's just like, okay, guard the people you know uh, kind of thing. Right. Um, and I happened to be guarding you. And, like, I, I yeah, I kept up with you for a few possessions. And I didn't mind banging around, boxing out, and all that stuff. But then there was definitely, there definitely came a possession where I was just like, aren't you tired of this? Like, stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you trying right now? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, and also, like saying all of this as someone who is just under six feet tall, um, uh, I won't disclose my weight. <laughs> it's, it's not that bad, though. Um, but just like I'm not a particularly strong person, and all I can think as you're saying that is like, man, if I was like two inches taller and a little bit stronger, I would have dominated our friends.
0: Oh man, that's uh, two inches stronger and a little bit two inches taller and a little bit stronger is uh, the uh, mantra of my life since I was thirteen. <laughs> and with that let's call it an episode our music is produced by Brendan johnson our art is designed by am strickland we will be back for more spooky talk next week